I invite you to stand in for the reading of God's Word this morning. Acts chapter 20. chapter 20, and we will read from verse 26 down through verse 32. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. May the Lord add his richest blessing to the reading of his word. Thank you, and you may be seated. I want to begin the message this morning with a little bit of a preface. Some of the things that you're going to hear this morning may be something that you have never heard before in church, but I think it's important. There is a reason why we have adopted a new constitution and why we have a complete doctrinal statement here, and I believe the reason for that is because it is important that you and I know what we believe and where we stand. Having said that, though, there are going to be a few groups that we are going to talk about just briefly this morning, and we do not talk about these these groups because we hate the individuals who are in these groups. But we do hate the doctrine. We do hate the false teaching that is so prevalent. There was a time in the early days of the New Testament church that everybody had all things in common when they were in the local New Testament church, and yet it was very quickly found out that there were some who did not want to hear the truth of God's word and began to come up with all kinds of pernicious or false doctrines that inhabited the church. There's nothing new under the sun. And all the doctrines that you will find today in some form or fashion, in some way, down through the centuries of the church, the history of the church, since the beginning of that in Christ's ministry and then followed with the disciples, It's all been done before. It's all been said before. There's nothing really new. But one thing that remains the same, as Psalm 119 says, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. And it doesn't matter whether the Lord Jesus Christ returns today or next year or not for a hundred years or not for a thousand years from now before he returns, his word will still be the same that will be proclaimed Lord willing, through churches across this world, no matter where it is, he will always have a people for himself. We do not have to worry about whether the church of the Lord Jesus Christ will grow, because it will grow. 
It will grow in His timing, in His way, and it will always be with His people. You see, the problem that we have though in many churches today is that because there are people who do not understand the Scriptures, there are people who do not know what they believe, you could hand them a doctrinal statement and maybe this is you, but our desire is not that you stay there. But they can be handed a doctrinal statement and they wouldn't know the difference between a doctrinal statement between us and one of the other cults that are found here in town. This shouldn't be for true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, having shared with you that we do not hate these individuals, but we seek to love them and to tell them the truth of God's word, because as we said last week, telling the truth is not endorsing people's sin. It's not endorsing their false doctrine. So a few questions for you to consider this morning. Number one, does what we believe matter? I believe it does. Are all who claim to be followers of Christ actually Christians? After all, are we not all God's children? And isn't God the Father of all? Why can't we just all get along? Some have told me, well, what I believe is personal between me and God, and it's nobody else's business, including the church. And the question I have is, do you know enough about the Bible to guard your family, to guard your heart against the ravages of the evil one and his minions? Who's at your door? Hi, my name is Bill, or Bob, or John. And I'm here to ask you, do you believe in capital punishment? Do you believe that heaven can come down here to earth? These are some of the kind of questions that you would get if a JW shows up at your door. And we're not going to debate the ins, outs, ups, downs of everything that JWs believe. But let me tell you this, they are a cult. And here's why. Number one, the JWs deny the following biblical doctrines. The Trinity. The deity of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit. The bodily resurrection of Christ. Salvation by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. The substitutionary atonement. Eternal hell for the unbeliever. And that heaven is for all true believers. That would be more than enough to be able to say, thank you for stopping by. Have a good day. Sadly, though, fully 25% of adherents, new adherents to the Jehovah's Witness cult and to the LDS come from evangelical churches just like ours every single year. Because people don't know what they believe. What about this one? Here we go. Does anybody know this one? Oneness Pentecostal? They deny the Trinity, and many within this group teach health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. They believe that Christ died so that you can be happy, healthy, wealthy, and in love with yourself. 
If you are not, then it is because you don't have enough faith. You will find faith healers in this group. They do not teach salvation by faith in Christ alone. Now I found something out very interesting this last week. I went over to see my mom and dad. They're very close neighbors, for those of you who don't know. <laughs> and I went over and saw mom and dad, and they were telling me that when we were little, we came back to the States, and they actually took me to a faith healing church. For those of you who are not aware of this, I'm actually blind by birth in my right eye. I'm missing three parts of my right eye. I've never been able to see out of it. And so they took me down as a little fella, took me down to the front, and Apparently, the preacher who was up front laid his hands on me and went, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Just for the record, I still can't see. <laughs> but I finally figured out what was wrong with me. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> Seriously. I want to tell you who some of these charlatans include. And the reason I want to share this with you is not because we want to make fun of them, because these are people who hold a different doctrine, and Galatians chapter 1 makes it very clear that if anybody teaches any other doctrine other than what you have been taught, they are to be accursed. Now before I give you this, just about every one of these people without exception have made comments similar to this or hang out with or endorse these ministers that I'm getting ready to tell you about. Quote, Jesus died and went down and suffered in hell at the hands of the demons and Satan so that he could be born again. Quote, Jesus had to go down and suffer in hell to atone for the possibility of his own sin and his own sin nature before he could possibly atone for the sins of mankind. Would you like to know who some of these people are? Glad you asked. Benny Hinn. Paul Crouch. Joyce Meyer. T.D. Jakes. Paula White. Beth Moore. Andrew Womack, Pat Robertson, Joel Osteen, and others. Do I believe that there is hope for these individuals? Yes, just like I believe that there is hope for you if you come and they come the same way that you and I have to come, and that is by faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. I do not doubt that there are those who have sought to do what is right, I am sure that there are many who have been duped or believe that what they're doing is right and what they're preaching is the truth. But the Bible tells us in the book of 2 Corinthians that should we not find it amazing, or we shouldn't find it amazing, because Satan himself is an angel of light and he also has his own angels of unrighteousness. We will look at that here in just a moment. Let's look at the last group this morning, LDS. For those of you who are not aware, 65% of the Book of Mormon was actually plagiarized directly out of the King James Version. Okay? So you'll recognize some of these statements as coming directly from your Bible. 
But I want you to know, because when these young men, these nice, well-dressed young men, show up at your door, they are going to tell you this verse right here if you ask them what it means to be saved. 2 Nephi 25, verse 23. For we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. That's why they're at your door. For we know that it is by grace we are saved. Who knows where that verse comes from? Ephesians chapter 2, right? Look at the verse, the last part of that verse though that was added by Joseph Smith. After all we can do. This is the problem with every religion, every false religion in the world. It's after all you can do that then Jesus Christ can hopefully do his part. Listen to this. Quote, The process of being truly converted to the Lord and his ways, this is from an LDS high-ranking individual, takes years to be truly converted to the Lord. And many members of the LDS church are still trying, but that's what a saint is, a sinner who keeps on trying for God. For every one of those young men who are going out, there's actually more than 88,000 missionaries currently in 2023. They put us to shame. Most of these 88,000 missionaries are under the age of 25. They pay for their own way or their families do. They are not allowed to have any contact with their families almost for two years. And they go out and they will knock door to door. Here's a typical missionary day. They wake at 6.30 a.m. for personal study. And the day is then spent proselytizing by following up on appointments, visiting homes, or meeting people in the street or other public places. And these missionaries end their day at 10.30 p.m. Every single day for two years. What is the result? For every missionary that you see on a bike or knocking on your door that is around the world, there are three to four brand new baptized LDS members every single year. And again, 25% of them come from churches just like ours. One person commented, I wasn't much of a churchgoer until two strapping young men came and helped me move in and we started a Bible study because I felt it was what I should do. Let me summarize the LDS beliefs. They believe that Father God, as they call him, was once a man just like us. And he was eventually exalted by other gods to become a god as well. And his good life on some distant planet called Kolob involves him having endless celestial sex with his myriads of spirit wives in order to produce spirit babies who will become human babies. Until 1978, the LDS church taught that all good spirit babies become white babies, but babies who were bad were born into other parts of the world with darker skin based on the amount of how much bad they did in spirit heaven. It's still in their books. In time, Father God came to earth, 
for a physically intimate date with one of his heavenly celestial daughters, Mary, so that Jesus could be conceived, and Jesus is considered to be a spirit brother with Lucifer. Not so nice as they appear, are they? From these passages, or this passage that we have this morning, I think there are a few things that are important for us to note. Number one, the whole counsel of God. Paul did not shirk from teaching the whole counsel of God. When we stand up here, it's not about standing up here and giving you nice little platitudes, telling you nice little stories, or hoping that you'll feel better with yourself by the time you walk out the door. Your sin and mine keep us separated, kept us separated. And if you are like me, you will remember the day or the time when the Lord Jesus Christ came and made a brand new creation in you. You don't get that by feeling good about yourself. Jesus didn't come into this world to save good, moral, righteous people. He came into the world to save sinners. Paul uses this term here when he is speaking about the whole counsel of God and he says, I did not shrink from doing this. It is a term that is used of those who from timidity or fear hesitate to avow what they believe. Not only does what you believe matter, but we are talking about, Brother Diego brought this up, we're talking about the bags that we're going to be passing out and putting on people's doors. Why would we be ashamed of that? Paul says, I didn't shrink. He was willing to go to death for it. Not only did he not shrink from it, but it says that he declared, and this word means to bring back tidings and to rehearse them in a continual matter. There, there are some people who might say, well, you know, all we ever hear is a gospel message. Well, maybe that's because you're being convicted of the gospel message. Because the reality is we do strive to preach and teach the whole counsel of God, but part of that whole counsel is to remind you and I to examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith or not. Dad is getting ready to go in the next section of James and he's going to talk about those who are hearers of the word and not doers. And the question we have to ask ourselves is this, are we truly not just hearing the word, but are we doing the word? Is it changing us? Is it making a difference in our life? You see, if there's no change, if we're doing the same thing day in and day out, if there's no conviction of sin, if there's no love for the brethren, if there's no love for God, if there's no love for his word, 1 John makes it very clear that you cannot be a Christian. Amen? But the Bible says that there is hope. It's found in Jesus Christ. You see, because today can be the day of salvation for you if you do not know him, if you don't have a personal relationship with him. And then he declares the whole counsel of God. And this simply refers to the purpose of God about the salvation of men through Christ, all the contents of the divine plan. Lord willing, we're going to be taking a break here shortly uh, again from the book of Revelation as we have been going through it. 
And we are actually going to look at what it means to be saved. We are going to look, some of you may be aware of the term, ordo salutis, which simply means the order of salvation. What does God do? How does salvation come about in your heart? And encourage you now to be here for those messages. But the whole counsel of God is the purposes of God. It is according to his divine plan, not ours. Secondly, pay careful attention. Be attentive. The word here is used also in in Greek literature and it means to bring a ship safely to land. In other words, just as a captain would watch out for potential dangers to his vessel, so too the elders, shepherds, pastors of a congregation must watch for the potential dangers that are often right below the surface. Listen, the evil one, if you think you know the Bible, he is not going to come and hit you over the head with a two-by-four with a bunch of false doctrine and expect you to buy the stuff that we just talked about. He's going to come and by one tiny fraction of a degree at a time, he will lead you astray if you don't know your Bible. Anybody know this guy? Charles Finney. A hero to many within evangelicalism and sadly held up by many leaders including the following because they have been quoted or they have quoted him repeatedly, men like Billy Graham, the Vineyard Movement, Promise Keepers Movement, and Jerry Falwell. But again, it's important to know what it is that he believed to find out whether we can hold him up as a hero or not. Number one, he believed emotionalism to drive converts to come down to the altar was necessary even if it was done by duplicitous means. Secondly, if that wasn't bad enough, he denied that man even had a sinful nature. He believed that all men were born perfectly innocent. Thirdly, he believed that Christ's death did not pay for your sins, but that you have to. He believed man was responsible for his own salvation. He believed in sinless perfection. And he believed that man had to be completely perfect in every aspect of life in order to have fellowship with God. And his words, quote, fellowship with God has nothing to do with God. Is he really a hero? I was sharing with my dad. One of the reasons why, and it's even in our doctrinal statement, that we will not use music from places like Bethel Church or Reading or Vineyard Movement or or places like that is because of the outright heresy that is found in their churches. Bill Johnson, who is the senior pastor of of, uh, Bethel Church in Reading, made a comment, and you you can Google it, look it up, see what he has to say. And he says, too many people, quote, too many people fail to have a divine encounter with God because they have too much good theology. Did you catch that? Because they have too much good theology. In other words, throw your theology out the window because it really should be based on how you feel. 
Emotions should drive you. Trust your heart, they will tell you. And yet Jeremiah makes it very clear that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. You and I can't trust our hearts. Thirdly, watch for wolves. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we mentioned this earlier. Listen to verse 13 through 15. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. What you believe matters. What I believe matters. And what we believe must be centered on the Word of God. Nothing else. Brother Diego read that from the Constitution that was worded very, very carefully because the Constitution, our doctrinal statement, does not supersede the Word of God. Do you realize that the overwhelming majority, listen to this, 85% of new denominations and churches that have sprung up since the early 1800s came out of ignorance. Somebody got upset. They didn't like the color of the carpet, color of the pews, whatever it may be, and they decided, well, I can, I can translate the Bible any way I want to. You end up with the LDS or JWs or other denominations that have built a following around people coming and instead of following the word of God, they are following man. I've shared this with you before. Some of you are aware of this. The graveyards are full of people who thought they were indispensable. This church is not to be built on the back of Mark Escalera or any of the other men and the brothers who have mentioned who have been mentioned before and those who came before. We are just part of the kingdom of God. One day, the Lord tarries is coming, I'll be gone as well. You will be also. And there will be another generation that will be coming after us. And the question is, are they following Christ? Are we encouraging them to follow Christ? Or are we encouraging them? Are we encouraging our young people to follow man's traditions and creeds and personalities? Finally, this morning, Paul is encouraging them here in verse 32. And he says again, chapter 20, verse 32, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. To live a holy life, to be built up, The word here means to promote growth in Christian wisdom, affection, grace, virtue, holiness, and blessedness. To have an inheritance. Think about you on your worst day in your entire life, either before or after you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. 
and go home today and look at yourself in the mirror and look at that individual that you once were and you should be standing there with tears in your eyes looking to God and saying, God, thank you for being merciful to me, a sinner. God, not only did you love me and set your love upon me from all of eternity past, but you've given me everything in the beloved. Everything that is in Jesus Christ is mine. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. This inheritance, it is something that is given to a person as a possession and they will have this in eternal blessedness one day. You know, the only thing that you have right now, you and I have, is the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. And that Holy Spirit is just a down payment. It's not even the full deal. Who is this for though? And here's the caveat. It is for those who are sanctified. It's not for any it's not for everybody. It's for those who are striving to live a holy life before God to those who have been changed by the power of God. To those who are being made holy day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment. The word here is one who is purified internally by a reformation of soul. This individual, a sanctified person, is in fellowship with Christ and indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. This individual is freed from the impurity of wickedness and this person has been brought near to God by their faith and sanctity. Listen to Ephesians 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Somebody asked me this morning, well isn't God love? Yes, God is love. But if God was also not a God of wrath, he would never have had to send his son. He sent his son, and it says the Bible tells us that it it pleased the father to bruise him, to crush his own son. And the reason his son had to be crushed on the cross, the reason that for the only time in history that one part of the Godhead was separated from the other was on the cross of Jesus Christ. but it would be the last time that would ever happen. Because of what he did and his obedience to the Father, Philippians chapter 2 reminds us that Jesus Christ is given a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. You won't stand before God with any kind of an excuse. The Hindus, the Buddhists, the Muslims, all the religions in the world, all the false religions in the world, they will all stand before God the same way. And they, you will either stand before Him, I will stand before Him, and He will either be your Savior who has atoned for your sin, or you will stand before Him and He will be your eternal judge. There are no in-betweens. To put it simply in conclusion this morning, Without hearing the whole counsel of God, without paying careful attention, without watching out for wolves, and without living holy lives, we will fail in our daily lives. 
If you think that being a Christian is just when you show up for a Sunday service, then it will end up costing you more than you are willing to pay. The 17th century canons of Dort described the price that we pay for especially serious sins. Quote, By our sin we greatly offend God, deserve the sentence of death, grieve the Holy Spirit, suspend the exercise of faith, severely wound the conscience, and sometimes lose the awareness of grace for a time. End quote. Sin, my friend, as has been stated down through the years, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. The groups that I mentioned at the beginning of the message are just a small selection of cults in our neighborhoods. I was speaking with somebody earlier this week I didn't ask permission if I could share their name, so I'm just going to share the quote that they shared with me. But another group that is growing rapidly is the religion of Islam. For the record, Allah is not another name for God. But there's one thing that the Muslims do that puts, I believe, every one of us to shame. This individual was speaking to a Muslim about converting to Christianity. And he said, a Muslim will never convert to Christianity because there is a significant difference between you and us. He said, quote, Allah is the house in which all Muslims live. We are in it and he is everything. He said, yet with you Christians, God is only an add-on. I think that's a shame if that describes our life. If it describes who we are in Jesus Christ, if that's all it is, is God is just an add-on. I was looking at a, at a, at a post earlier this week, a blog post was written and this individual commented in there and they said, you know, as I get older and the more time I spend with the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, I can't go very long anymore without weeping over my sin or the fact that God's holiness, that I was so long separated from it. He said, it just brings me to my near knees in tears what God was willing to do for me. Christianity, folks, is not a game. It's everything. It should be everything to every one of us. We're going to be singing a hymn here in just a moment as we get ready for the baptism. My Jesus, I love you. I know you are mine. For thee all the treasures of life I resign. Do we really believe that? Are we really willing to do that for him who loved us enough to die for us? Brother Doug and Brother Tim. You could come and help me, please, gentlemen. As they're passing this out, 
Brother Corey, if are you will you be ready in what you've got on? Okay. Brother Diego mentioned this in regards to the covenant that we made, the commitment that we made to one another. And I know that some of you are still considering membership, and we're going to talk more about this, Lord willing, next week. What what actually is membership? We want to make sure that there's not a misunderstanding in regards to what that term means. You see, membership in a church does not mean membership in the body of Christ. And there is a difference between the two, but we want you to take these, these, these documents and we are going to ask you to prayerfully recommit when you joined as a member or if you were considering joining as a member or being in full fellowship, church fellowship here at Yellowstone. These are the questions. They've been changed just a little bit that we read to every new person who comes. But I want to read this and I want you to, again, prayerfully consider what is here because this ultimately, we believe, is what being in full fellowship means at a local body of believers. It doesn't mean necessarily coming down and shaking the preacher's hand. It means coming and presenting yourself and saying these things. First and foremost, having been convicted by God the Holy Spirit of my sin of unbelief and recognizing that there is no salvation apart from being chosen by Christ, I have acknowledged and repented of my guilt before God and received the Lord Jesus Christ who bore my sins on the cross as my personal Savior. That is the first and foremost thing. If you have not done that, you can't be a true church member. Number one. I acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life and seek to confess him as such before others by testimony, both by word and life. I trust in the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in my heart to keep me, guide me, and lead me in the way of purity and holiness. Number two, I accept the Bible as the only inspired word of God and my final authority in all matters of faith and practice and that I have a responsibility to share biblical truth with family and acquaintances and to exercise self-control in my life. Number three, I recognize my responsibility to be faithful in my attendance and to pray regularly for the work of this congregation, for its pastor, elders, officers, and church family, that the witness of all concern may be to the glory of God and to the salvation of souls. Number four, I recognize that I am to be a good steward of my time, talents, and resources for the purpose of extending the kingdom of Christ around the world. Number five, I have been scripturally baptized by immersion or have submitted to believers' baptism. And like this with Brother excuse me, Corey this morning, who is coming by baptism in obedience to the Lord's command, thus signifying my union with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. Number six, I have read the church constitution and doctrinal statement. I willingly submit to the leadership as they follow Christ. I promise before God that I will not seek to spread discord in the congregation or with the church leadership. With God being my helper, I will not openly disagree with them as long as they follow Christ. If a problem arises that I cannot deal with in the right spirit, I will remove myself rather than cause problems for this local church body. 
I recognize the inability in my own strength to adhere to the terms of any covenant, yet I believe that the Lord will enable me to fulfill the terms of this covenant. Indicating my willingness to this, I sign implying the ready assent of my heart to each of the above statements. We challenge you, if you've got a problem, to question this according to the Word of God. That's why we've got so many references here. This doesn't mean that if you can't sign this that you're not welcome because all are welcome to come. But we want you to know we believe in the sanctity of the local church. We believe the importance and the value of the local church because we believe in the value of biblical doctrine. So we looked at this morning. May our hearts be willing to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in every area of our life. Sterling, I'm going to have you come. And Brother Corey, if you will go ahead and come on up here, we will prepare for the baptism. And then we will have a word of benediction afterwards.